Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the grounded pixie dice set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Uh, this episode we had an unfortunate malfunction and none of my audio got recorded, which I did not discover until editing time. I am going to do my best to edit this episode so that it is uh, not immediately obvious that my audio parts are missing and I'm going to fill in my best guess what my question is or at least try to explain what I might have been asking through context clues, but uh, this is going to be an interesting episode and I hope you stick around. We talk about some great stuff. Uh, I will do my best to make sure that my parts aren't super distracting though. Anyways, in this episode we talk about player agency and I really hope you enjoy the episode despite this uh, technical snafu. Anyways, thank you again for listening. Hope you enjoy the episode. Today we're joined uh, again by D. How's it going, D? Pretty good. Uh, well, the the world's messed up, but I'm pretty good. Yeah, I think that's. I feel like that's a pretty common feeling right now. Oh my gosh! But anyway, <laughs> we're uh, you know you you've been on the show before, but why don't you introduce yourself? Where might folks know you from? Hi everyone, I'm D. Or um, from Twitter as DiceQGM. Uh, I'm also a writer on Gnome Stew under Dice Queen. You might know me for... I wrote this article about the Wendy's tabletop and my mixed feelings about it. Um, I have less mixed feelings now that I found out they support... Um... Can I talk about politics on this thing? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I found, I found out that they, um, they support Trump to a degree. Uh, it was originally about this... A person that owns a bunch of franchises in the South that was supporting Trump with like four hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, people fact checked me on this one, and I talked about it, and then I found out that the actual owner of like Wendy's hosted a fundraiser that raised over ten million for him back in February. That I didn't know about, so now I'm just off Wendy's. Either way, uh, so yeah, I. I wrote about um, my Wendy's, uh, the Wendy's tabletop, and my complicated feelings about it. I recently wrote a one about things I learned learning about Japanese uh, tabletop RPGs, and uh, I, I yell about it on Twitter a lot. That's where you might know me from, mostly because uh, mostly just my complaining on the internet. All right, let's let's get into the topic: uh, player agency. Uh, I guess. Let's go through a, a bit of a definition first. Well, okay. So I know I wanted to come in talking about player agency. It's it's in part because I've spent the last two months or so reading nothing but 
old tabletop blogs about agency. Like I started with 13 and I've currently read through 30 and I have another like 15 or 20 to go to. Yeah. It's people seem to believe that player agency or at least the term originated somewhere in 2015. Oh, by the way, um, yeah, player agency, a definition. A player agency is essentially the impact a player has on the story. It is how a player can... How much do your choices matter? What? How much does your character matter in the grand scheme of things? If I decide to go left or right down the pathway... Does that change the outcome? Player agency says it should. If I go left, it should be ultimately a different experience from the right. And there have been a lot of complicated talks about this, mostly in that uh, GMs need like easy pathways in order to run things easier and smoother. If I prepare like one encounter, I kind of want to run that encounter. But if you go into a game saying, I have to run this one encounter, and you just throw it on them, no matter what their choices are, you've actually taken away their agency. Oh, you know, yeah, that's a definition of player agency we can work with. I was about to go into like a whole spiel about the history, but whatever. I mean, the history is interesting, honestly. Like, I would love to hear that. It uh, People think it started around 2015. Like, the term popped up in like the Twitter sphere. But prior to that, people have been talking about it on like the forge since well they would say 2012 but it actually goes even further back i think all the way to 1997 when people were talking about narrativism and uh tabletop games the big three model of narrativism um simulationism and shoot there's one more whatever uh and like gameplay or something the, the big three narr- um the big three model is now like outdated because there have been a lot of discussions about it but narrativism and like the impact of choice has been talked about for like nearly two plus decades and the term agency has only really been coined in recent years that makes a lot of sense to me because like i know like at least within my group of friends we've been having discussions about how tabletop games work for years and you know we get new terms as kind of more people are talking about it more publicly but that doesn't mean that you know a topic hasn't existed for a long time maybe with a different term or you know just maybe not in a searchable database i've been doing that i've been doing research about that like the best part are all the the best places where I can really connect is where you find an article saying, hey, this is what we used to be talking about, but this is what the new term is. And those are kind of like few and far between because blogging has become somehow less discursive. Is that a word? Less discourse about it. It's like nowadays when I look at RPG blogs, I tend to see more hey, this is my content, this is something I'm doing, and here's my opinions about recent stuff in the industry. But I get less and less, like, raw discussion about topics, I feel. 
I'm concerned they might take the um, Dan Harmon route. Yeah, he the creator community, uh, popular guy, Rick and Morty. Um, he had this one blog. I don't remember the name of it now. It was a it was his live journal, I think. And he took all of the blog posts there and turned it into a book called um, You'll Be Perfect When You're Dead. It released like 900 copies back in, I think, 2013. And like the blog's missing now. So you, you, you will not. Yeah. What was I talking about? Right. Player agency. <laughs> right. Sorry. I get distracted. I, I go I go on these tangents. But um, yeah, no. Player agency is. There's a lot of layers to it. Like I've done enough research. I feel I can write the book. But then I'm like, I, I can't start with like with how the world is right now. Hey folks, Sean here again with my best guess of the question that I asked. I think here I was asking, well, I did a summary of the article that Dee wrote on Gnome Stew about juggernauts and how they can be used to take agency away from players in a way that won't cause them to immediately accuse you of trying to railroad them. Uh, again, though, this is my best guess from context clues, so... Let's just go with that and uh, continue on with the episode. No, that's that. Yeah, no, that that's that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's and, um. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go for it, please. I've been talking uh, so much. Yeah, uh, the article can be found on gnomestew.com. I, I was mostly trying to like. Um, there's a lot of articles on the internet already about player agency, and so when I was writing this one, I really wanted to find a way to frame it in a way that makes sense to modern like gaming right now. And people think about enemies a lot and the juggernaut or the archetype in which I'm talking about is is not something you really see nowadays in in almost any sense. Like um for those out there that aren't necessarily certain what I mean by the juggernaut, it's um, it's like a villain slash enemy that moves along towards their goal and not letting not letting anything get in their way. It's they have a bunch of traits. Uh, they hit really really bloody hard. Uh, they're very straightforward. Uh, they've got unstoppable motion it's 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 very difficult to stop or slow them down they typically have very strong recovery or cooldown periods and they have something that i call staying power or the reason why they keep moving forward a good example is um the terminator boom done terminator movies simple answer yeah and uh, like literally the juggernaut from the x-men oh man yeah which i think even like because in the article, you have a list of kind of some of the points and variants and like it has one of the traits in that like it does have a weakness or like the juggernaut does have a weakness, but it's very specific and you have to figure out how to get to it and how to exploit it. Do you, do you know the weakness of the juggernaut from X-Men? I don't actually off the top of my head. Uh, he, he has like that helmet blocks him from psychic attack. So they have to remove that so that Professor Extra Gene Gray or whoever has psychic powers who's on the team at the time can like basically like kind of shut him down for a while. Uh, I never really covered the X-Men personally. <laughs> I was more of a Spider-Man person. 
I mean, they're both excellent, but yeah, I watched both of those cartoons a lot as a kid. Gosh. But yeah, it's um it's like a really specific weakness in order to deal with them. Like 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 talking about what I mean by staying power and how you how the juggernaut really like sticks around it typically can do things like ignore bullets very common one in modern games uh it regenerates it comes back to life yada yada it's you'll you'll see them a lot in sci-fi and superheroes not so much in fantasy but they definitely would exist imagine if you had like um a gelatinous ooze is actually a good uh, good example because gelatinous ooze doesn't really have much of a mind in the dungeon sense. It's a it's like a it's a janitor. It sees something that's dirty in the halls and it wants to eat them. How much you hit it won't make it necessarily run away. It just wants to eat you. And here I believe I asked a question or referenced another monster. I think it was the Tarasque specifically from D&D 5th edition and how it might not actually care specifically about the players. Yeah, it's not like it's there trying to kill you. Its goal is, well, my migratory patterns make me want to move past you. Sorry. I'm immune to magic. I regenerate and you have to like kill me practically twice. But, you know, no big deal. I think in like in some like Godzilla could be another example of one. Like often in order to fight it you need another giant unstoppable monster. Oh yeah. Or Godzilla is actually typically the uh answer to other unstoppable monsters that are messing around the town. It's like, okay, so we know how to handle Godzilla. We don't know who this new person is. Why don't we bring Godzilla to this new one? <laughs> see what happens it's it's like pokemon except you know millions of lives and property damage in almost every real genre or setting there's some form of juggernaut there's you know you've got your superhero one that actual juggernaut from x-men you've got the fantasy tarasque that's a really good one um imagine like any kind of science experiment where you've created like a hound that can just like hunt you down and keeps regenerating. That's a really good one. Um, future. I, I wrote like a huge list of all the different types of staying power. Um, okay. So I think here I was, uh, I listed a few of my favorite juggernauts that came to mind and uh, compared them to some of the juggernaut types from the article that d wrote uh that again this is best guess from context clues uh but apparently what i said was pretty good because i got some good reactions from jesse and d but i'm cutting all of that out because you get this instead uh anyways on with the episode are you, are you a fan of avatar the last airbender Yes. The drill for bossing say. Oh yeah. Exactly that. Like the juggernaut is not necessarily an enemy or a creature, but it is something. It is it in its most destructive form, it's that drill. It is a machine and you can't really stop it unless you go inside and you start tearing that apart. But I really love that you brought up the legal immunity one because that is one that does have that has like next to no like combative immunity it's not really impossible to hurt them but 
they have so much social protection that you will be hurt far more for attempting to do something to them. I, uh, I recently had one for this campaign I'm running, um, Epithet RPG. I, I guess I can like link that later, but whatever. Uh, we have this one guy called Raji Ross, who's kind of like, he's a silencer for a large, um, for a large company called Seer. And so the silencer, he has so much money backing him up. And he has this shady like organization that has like strings all over the city. So if he straight up beat up the protagonist in the middle of the street, no one's going to blink an eye. But if he gets attacked, he can sue them for like everything. It's terrible. Players hate him. The players hated him. So here, I believe I asked, uh, tried to create some clarification around how like juggernauts, are a useful tool in a GM's toolbox, uh, similar to almost anything else we've talked about on the show. Uh, it's something that you can use. Uh, if you use it properly, it can help create just as fun a campaign as any other tool in your toolbox. Absolutely. It's um, it's saying... It's I, I, I likened it to I liken juggernauts to an actual puzzle. If you go into a dungeon and you reach a door and it's locked by a very specific key, you've one taken away the agency of well in a way you've taken away the capability for the rogue to pick it. For if it's immune to magic, you've taken away the ability for the wizard to magic its way through it. Like with, with passwall or something. And it's eventually telling you, okay, you need to go find this key somewhere in the dungeon. You've pushed them into that, like, bottleneck. You have to find this key to progress. The Juggernaut is the same way because the Juggernaut can say, oh, no, they're immune to physical attacks. Also, they're immune to fire. But however, they are very specific, specifically weak to lightning. And even though you don't have a lightning thing, there is a wand of, like, lightning bolts somewhere in this dungeon. You've limited the player's actions because all of their other actions are super ineffective. So they can decide to keep like beat stick. Like when I say beat stick, I mean, imagine you had like a, like just a regular stick and you're trying to like defeat a, a robot with it. It, you can eventually like kill the robot, but it'll take forever and you're going to hit casualties. And the juggernaut is especially common with TPKs. That's why people tend to avoid it as well. Because a juggernaut hitting you could be could mean three-fourths to a player death. You know what I mean? There's been this trend and movement towards player-facing story. How can I say this? It's like, there's a lot of plot armor going around. There's a lot of plot armor and a lot of the player's... <sighs> The Juggernaut's difficult because it directly conflicts with the concept that players are eventually just going to naturally progress through the story without getting hurt. When you when a player puts in like 30 hours of work to build their character, people feel guilt killing them because they have one plot relevance. There's a lot of effort behind it. And so you have to ask yourself, um, are you willing to potentially hurt a player's feelings because they put a lot of work into this character? You know what I mean? It's 
having the juggernaut, which screams, I'm going to kill you if you don't play smart, goes against plot armor. Because if you do use plot armor uh, against a juggernaut, like, no, Dragonite like goes for uh, goes for attacking uh, the player, and it, and they go down to zero. They're already ma- making death saves. If you find a way to cheat the players out of that situation in a non meaningful way, you face something called villain decay. Villain, um, do you, have you heard the term villain decay? Yes. Uh, for the viewers, uh, villain decay is essentially when you have a reoccurring villain, their impact lessons with each time the players like uh, their impact lessens the more the players deal with them it's like oh we've already done this we know how to deal with you unless you keep amping up and ramping the villain it's going to be turning them into slapstick in a way and here i'm pretty sure that i made a reference to how in horror movies in the first one in a series like Jason, the villain can be terrifying, but in the 20th film in a series, uh, it's just a little bit silly. It's not as scary anymore, and that's not what you what you should be trying to do with a juggernaut. Jigsaw, really good example. Like the Saw movies. The first one, the first couple is like, ooh. Seven, it's just, this is just gore at this point. Um, can I go into an example? I have an example of this. Okay, so I recently, in the last year I ran this campaign, it was under this game Fantasy Age. I took a Pathfinder module, um, Serpent Skull, in order to run in Fantasy Age. I, I, I mix systems and adventures a lot because I think every adventure should be able to stand on its own. Whatever. Um, but I added this villain called Kincarian. Kincarian is this skeleton ghost pirate with, that the players could have encountered at his ship. However, because the players faffed about a lot in the upper part of the island that they were trapped on, the villain got to see the ship first. The villain got to steal the locket Kincarian cares about. And then the villain ran away with it, and so and they used it to control Kincarian. Kincarian, being a skeleton ghost pirate, can just regenerate whenever he goes down. That's how I wrote him. So when the players first face him, they're dealing with this guy that's doing 2d8 damage, like, uh, no, like 3d8 damage that goes past any, like, resistances. So he, like, grabs your hand, and he just does all this damage, and almost one-shots one of the characters, and then the players have to run, and they kill him, sure, but then one of the players like carried his bone his a bone of his like in them because like he like stabbed them with it and then he regenerated from that bone and so and so the thing is the bone shards are still left in one of the players so he attacked so he attacked them they dealt with him they effectively had to like throw him off like a cliff but Kincarian, because they're, his bones are inside of the characters, he knows where they are, so he can just move in a straight line towards them. And he kept coming back. So eventually the players had to like, uh, 
eventually they realized his patterns of moving always in a straight line. They started like making traps for him. Um, so he would just like run over traps when they like moved in a straight line towards him. And it made every interaction of theirs important. It, it put him on a time limit because they're always thinking, okay, how much longer till Kinkarian gets here? Cause he's going to like attack us. And ultimately they had to meet someone that told them this this ghost seems to have unfinished business. And they realized it was the locket that the person had. If they got the locket, King Harry and, and King Harry could get it back. He goes away. That's it. But until that happens, he chases them throughout the entire island. He doesn't move very fast. He just like, he does like a walk, a brisk walk. The players will always outpace him. But if they linger too much into an area, he appears. And like, that was a whole adventure. That sounds dope. <laughs> <laughs> like, in order to really deliver on the Juggernaut, you kind of have to hype them up. You have to leave story hints. You have to leave research notes saying, oh, uh, X31-5 is the most scariest regenerating creature we have. They're deadly. They're scary. And eventually, when they enter a room and they hear the hissing of a of of like a glass door sliding up, and they see the the nameplate X35, uh, I don't know what I said, X35J or whatever, um, they realize, oh, oh, we're screwed. We have to go. Because you spend all that time building up the narrative and hype about them. They understand this is dangerous. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. And here I think I made a point about how basically with a juggernaut, you can't just throw it at the players all of a sudden. You do have to have some kind of buildup. Uh, and I think I mentioned some video games that did this well, showing you the juggernaut or what was left in its wake before actually getting you uh, to interact with that villain in any meaningful way. Uh, I don't remember exactly what uh, I referenced, but I think that's what I mentioned here. Uh, Resident Evil 3 as well. Nemesis is like, it's exactly a juggernaut. Um, have you played it? I have not, but I watched my brother play it at length when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it, he's a creature who shows up over and over again, and ultimately all you can do before the end of the near the end of the game is escape from him. They uh they have to in order to face Villain Decay, I found Resident Evil 3 had a really nice answer to it. Um after you deal with him a couple times, he then pops out of nowhere with a rocket launcher, and you're like, okay. This got worse. <laughs> this got much worse. And it's just like, it, it's such a, such a simple answer. It's how do you deal with villain decay for this guy that you've like dealt with and escaped eight times? Give him a rocket launcher. He doesn't have to run anymore. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It was genius. That's, I think, like, before you were touching on something that I think kind of leads to, like, there is kind of a... An, very general proper way to run a juggernaut in that like 
you want yeah you want the players to learn about them you don't want them just to be this thing that shows up over and over again with no context right Mm -hmm. an effective jungler not you can find out about it you can maybe find out its weakness you can find out its history you can learn why it's chasing you um Mm -hmm. but if it's just like because i could easily see some you know so maybe new dm who's like i like this concept but doesn't do give too much thought to it it's just like yeah you just fight this thing again and again and again and that, I think, for a player would be especially irritating if there's no context. If there's no um, context and doesn't change over time. Exactly. Yeah. You, um, I actually, uh, in order to emphasize the whole jumping the shark thing with the whole, with, uh, we really need to just amp up his difficulty. I, I bring back Kinkarian because while the players had to like go across of like a very low tide stone bridge, like over water, uh, Kinkarian pops out um, attached to two sharks that he's, uh, that he's, uh, was it, was it dominated? Dominate creature? Yeah. Just two land sharks. I know, do not land sharks. Uh, like, yeah, just two sharks pulling him along. And and at that point, I know that was silly. I knew it was silly. But I wanted to really amp up how dangerous he was in the water because he's a pirate or something. I, I really don't understand why. why I, I think it was just like a reference to the fawns and the shark jumping thing. <laughs> so... You can see this mix of me being very silly, but also like incredibly deadly at the same time. Because once again, these players, they, they were getting annoyed with Kinkarian, and I'm like, I need to step him up a little bit. Sharks, the answer is. I need to make him worse. So he's less <laughs> just annoying and more dangerous. <laughs> add add sharks to anything, and it, and it, makes, uh, and it makes the adventure way uh, scarier. It, or... Like anything scarier, uh, Pathfinder, Pathfinder has a spell called Create Pit that I love. It just creates a pit, a ten by ten pit. That's it, thirty feet down, and it's a second level spell. It's my favorite spell in the game. But to amp it up, I think there's a fifth level spell that's like Great Water Pit or something, and it creates the same pit, but there's a Great White Shark in there, and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> Pathfinder is sec- is like legitimately genius, mostly because of the pit spell. But but they realize you just need to add to a shark to things to make it terrifying. It's so good. <laughs> uh, so to get back on the player agency, it's <sighs> narrative games tend to have a really tricky spot when it comes to the juggernaut and agency. Because narrative games kind of lean heavily on players kind of having the upper hand in almost every situation. And the Juggernaut kind of screams, no, no, you don't, not here. And so players tend to not really like it. I get that. But because of the emphasis on narrative games nowadays and the players getting through most everything, I kind of feel in a way narrative games can take away agency just by their own merit it's how can i say this if a person if i am being attacked by an enemy how many times have you actually let me ask you a question how many times have you gone into like an encounter and you realize it's really hard and then you scale it back in mid encounter oh all the time yeah right here i 
think I talked a little bit about how hard it can be to balance an encounter and have it be challenging, but not too challenging, and uh, not accidentally TPKing your party because you didn't read all the rules or didn't quite understand how to balance an encounter, and you end up kind of having every combat feel a little samey. It's a, it's a Skyrim effect. In Skyrim, everyone scales to your level. So regardless of where I'm going, um, it's it's typically the same difficulty that you would expect. You know? I, I could go to the Castle of Winterhold at level 1 and level 30, and I will have a completely different experience because at level 30, everyone's firing magic at me and, like, murdering me. But level 1, it's just like, oh, man, some weak weaklings with a sword? I can handle that. And the players feel that. And in a way, by brute forcing these situations, it's kind of, I don't know. I want to say almost, I don't want to say disrespectful, but I'm saying that. It's it's saying that, in, in a way, it's like strips the emphasis on the really important parts of the game. It's It, it takes away the weight that you place on an area. Imagine if um you went to the high, like if imagine if you found some way to cheese and got into like the end game area and the players were going in expecting to like win and you scale it down so they can against the, the final boss and that's not okay, you know? And I think here I said something about how using a juggernaut and putting that in front of your players and kind of teaching them to run away is actually something that is useful because that decision to actually turn around, stand your ground, and fight becomes much more impactful when it's got weight behind it, when they have to actually decide to fight something dangerous. Exactly. It's like, uh, no, that's a really good point. It's, in a way, by leaning on these, the players are going to be able to handle every situation kind of element. You are, you are in a way, I feel, stripping away the agency of the meaningful choice that they make to fight. If they are making choices that are, and forgive me, stupid, like, hey, there's, there's a giant monster at the top of this uh, hill. Let's go fight it. They are deliberately making a very stupid choice. And wouldn't, in a way, the most player agency fo uh, like facing like aftermath is the consequence. It's your choice did have impact. It led you to dying, but it had impact because you made choices that weren't like in any degree smart. It's not me being a dick. It's you being like. Yeah, it's you going to try and punch the dragon in the face when you're level one. Oh my god, I've had that happen. Like. Horde of the Dragon Horde of the Dragon Queen introduces an adult blue dragon in the first village that you actually have to like repel and fight. And this adult blue dragon can murder you in one shot. Short, pithy comment that was apparently pretty funny. Insert here. <laughs> exactly. It's <sighs> Yeah, so uh, uh one a conclusion I eventually came up to when I, when I was reading about player agency is that I think the most 
strongest element of player agency is the consequence the players receive for their decisions. It's the outcome. It's, I'm going to go left into this horde of giant um, orc-slaying trolls, or whatever, I'm, I'm just making up words at this point, and the consequence is you die. And all the players that did not decide to go there because they thought it was dumb did not die. Player agency. Yeah. Well, it's like, so I have realized during this conversation, I have a tendency to make characters who are like, oh, that looks dangerous. Let's go see that. With And part for me, when making those characters, the expectation is the other players will go, no, that's a bad decision. <laughs> Let's do, maybe think about this. Do, do they tell you it's a bad decision? <laughs> Oh, often. Oh, oh good. Okay. Um, but, you know, <laughs> that's because I understand who I'm playing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, I think I say something about a juggernaut being something like maybe a huge advancing army or monster that's threatening a town. The choice for the players actually becomes meaningful because they're not only choosing to fight something dangerous, they're choosing to protect something. Yeah, in in that case right there, where they are, where they're doing this to protect the town, that can push the narrative in its own way. It's this is the time when I would say, like the orc war chieftain is like, you know what, I like these guys, let's bring them back. And then you have to suddenly deal with this whole like one partly kidnapping, partly uh, cultural exploration, because I don't believe orcs are all bad. Uh, I don't like that narrative. So when these orc guys like take them back, they get to hear their side of being like, yeah, no, these guys have been stealing our land for like decades. What the hell? You get to hear, like it helps push a narrative because they're, they're making a choice for good reasons. You know what I mean? It's... yeah. As you said, if they're doing this to save a town, you then get to push a narrative further. You don't just punish them immediately for it. Yeah, um, and I yeah. I think there's something to be said, too, about, like, I have seen some DMs and played in some games where it felt like the DMs were only giving us one choice, which mm-hmm. led to certain death. And I think that's also different from what we're talking about, right? Because with a, a juggernaut, a lot of the times the choice can be to run away or try to avoid it or try and work around it or find his weakness exactly whereas like i've been in situations where it's like okay our only choice is to go and fight the dragon but we're level two we all know we're gonna die why are we playing this game and that's not the same thing that's generally just kind of bad dming or maybe it turns out the dm has another plan in mind that we don't know about exactly I actually want to like uh, bounce uh, bounce an idea back. Um, you you mentioned find. Uh, I think I, I think we were talking. I think I said something about finding the weakness or something like that. Like yeah. you know, dealing with the juggernaut. Um, it made me think of another. Dr- I've run a lot of juggernauts in my campaigns, like a lot. Um, one of which was uh, a hound that avoided light, and it only really came out. Um, in the uh, in like this alternate dimension village that the players were like thrown into every night. Don't worry, it's a it's a long story. The point is, no, this sounds great. <laughs> yeah, no, I get really. It's something my players wonder if I get my inspiration for my campaigns from nightmares, and I'm like, well, you're nightmares, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> so there's this hound that lived in. Uh, there's this hound that constantly chased after the players. Um, and 
one thing that he uh he started off just like a regular hound but every time you killed the hound he was then resistant and then immune to the last thing that killed him that's a very Ooh. simple one but oh, that's really clever yeah first he was resistant and then if you use the same thing to kill him he was now immune to it but um his biggest weakness that the players found ways to exploit is he avoided light. So I really emphasize this by having a battle that had several torches placed around and he would zigzag and the players recognized that pattern. So when they just cover themselves in light, he eventually ran away, but he then came back later with abilities to like snuff out light nearby him as a bonus action. He came mm. back with abilities that, you know, blew wind at fire. And, and, and to put it out essentially he he evolved it kind of was like an arms race between the players and him yeah he learned from whatever happened last time and came with resources so the same plan wouldn't consistently work exactly it was that's another juggernaut and he was also um just a regular part of this town and it was like a whole thing hmm. it's it's another way to avoid villain decay. Sorry, I went back to this. I just, I was just, I was just thinking of that example. It was really, I thought it was a good one. Gary Gygax, I think, once said, and I feel I'm paraphrasing, you don't need maps or the rules or necessarily enemies. The GM's responsibility is to create obstacles, challenges. Yeah. Well, and I think two consequences are. Um, so I have seen players, for example, who don't like it when there are consequences to their action. Like they don't get like the guard trying to arrest them after they do something illegal. Um, but I would argue that a consequence to an action is a natural flowing point of your player agency. You did a thing and it has affected the game. The effect was negative because you maybe did something and got caught or did something kind of silly, but that's why it's there, right? The game, a game for me when I'm a player isn't fun if I do something and then nothing ever comes of it. Yeah. So, no, that's a, that's a really good point. And fun fact, they're typically a rogue, right? But still, or the bard. The bard does something, the bard or rogue does something stupid and they get caught and they have a negative consequence. Yeah. So, throughout this conversation, I've realized that I am running a juggernaut in my game, which, I mean, is currently on pause with everything going on. But uh, since we're talking about it, and I do love talking about my game when I get the opportunity. Oh, go for it. Um, so I've created this character called the Knife Man, and basically he's almost more of an implacable man, like an implacable man character, where like you can't really do anything to him. So he's the, the nigh-invulnerable juggernaut. Um but how he's ended up working in the game is my players will enter an area and maybe they'll try and kind of like threaten the boss of an area. Um, and so sometimes that character will know or work for this other character. So they'll be like, if they are maybe duplicitous, they'll be like, hey, how about this? You're in my my realm now. Do this thing for me or I'm going to call, you know, I'm going to call the knife man. And he'll just deal with you. And so it's made it's made it interesting because the players then have to try and figure out how to work within a challenge so that they don't get this, you know, impossible to fight character coming after them. 
Right. Um, and I, th- I think that's another way you can work it too, where it's like, he can be a threat that other villains can hold over the characters if they don't work within a certain thing. Right, right. And then how the players dealt with that is they pretended to to work with this person and then betrayed him at the last possible second. So to like give themselves time to like get away once the knife man did show up. It's it's showing yeah, no, that's a that's a really good example of a juggernaut. Yeah, it, it's the, these uh these uh these retroactive juggernauts. Like you, you're not like actively thinking, okay, I'm gonna put in a juggernaut now, but it comes up because this is a trope you've seen. This is a trope that exists, but it's not one that exists too commonly in the in the you know tabletop RPG circle. Yeah, well, it's a trope that works really well when you're able to write around it, mm-hmm. but you know because you're you're writing or creating a thing with other people who might not react a specific way. It can be challenging to implement in a tabletop game. Exactly. Um, a really good, um, a really good way to handle that is if they deal with a juggernaut inside of a dungeon um, and the juggernaut's chasing them down, uh, you can like almost retroactively just say this juggernaut's here to mostly protect this area. So once they leave the area, i.e. if they bum rush the rest of the dungeon and then they just leave, the juggernaut just stops dealing with them. Yeah. Have we covered everything? I think I think so, Sean. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Good. Well, yeah. Well, D, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. We've got our kind of last traditional question before we get you to shout out some stuff you've been working on. Yeah, but, sure. Um, what's a thing? you know now that you wish you knew the first time you implemented a juggernaut in one of your games. Oh, God. Shoot. Oh, that's such a hard question. That's, like, <laughs> honestly a hard question. Um, oof. I don't want to say don't feel bad about it, because I definitely felt bad a lot of times while writing a juggernaut. Um, I guess my biggest... I think the biggest thing I'd say is... Hype them up. I would say hype them up because a common thing I've dealt with is I've brought in a juggernaut and the players didn't know it was a juggernaut and then killed everyone and they got upset. Um, Hype them up. Let them really know, like in a movie, that this is dangerous. This is going to be terrible and frightening. And hopefully they see that. Well, and like, I think you cover, you mentioned that point in your article really well is like, yeah, sometimes the juggernaut is introduced literally by like breaking through a wall. Nemesis. <laughs> I was yeah. sick of that one. Yeah. He like, um, in the demo for Resident Evil 3, he just literally just hops out from a wall and just, ha, ah, die. Yeah. Or, um, like I'm thinking of, uh, the Titans from Attack on Titan when they first show up and they just demolish this giant, like fortress wall there there was a bill there was a bit of build-up when it came to titans because he's like oh man what's that wall I'm like ooh, what, there's titans here it's like i don't remember the first episode but i think they hyped up just a little bit but the big one that kind of messed with everybody that came out of nowhere it's like yeah yeah this is this is something that's going to shake up everything exactly all right well thank you so much um 
where can people find you online and is there something are there some things you're working on that you would like our audience to know about um yeah okay so you can find me on twitter at dice q g m d i c e q g m um that's my yeah okay that's my twitter you can find me on gnome stew i am currently writing a new article for the zine called knucklebone mag i'll talk about that later or it'll be on my twitter or something um but the biggest thing is I put an application to be an any award judge. Uh, you can find it on their website or my Twitter profile. Essentially, if you vote for me, I can then like judge tabletops for the any awards of 2021. Um, I'll be under Abigail H. Yes. Hi, my name's Abigail. Um, but yeah. Uh, that's mostly all I want to say. Also, Black Lives Matter. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's one, if there's one thing I need to say right now. I also believe, um, okay, I've also been following this, like, tag called Bluefall, uh, which just, like, documents nothing but police brutality, and like, I'm thinking about getting a tattoo for that. All right, I that's have, it. I have seen that floating around, but have not actually, like, gone in depth into that hashtag. Um, if you do, uh, it's really depressing. Yeah, I, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone. Um, Bye. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to DMs of Vancouver. We acknowledge that the land we live, work, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that fact, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. We are a part of the Cave Goblin Network. To check out other shows on the network, please visit cavegoblins.com. You can support the show and the network by becoming a patron at patreon.com cavegoblins. You can also support the show by leaving us a review on iTunes or talking about the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver, at Jesse Boros, and at Sean P. Hagen. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. See more of her work at HaleyBoros.com. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Find his work at Acompetech.com. Everyone is Jonas is a live-streamed, competitive role-playing podcast hosted by me, Doug Vandalay. Me, Eric Ivanovich. And me, Talia Murdoch. On twitch.tv forward slash cavegoblins every Monday at 7.30 p.m. PST. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week, I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's Everything Economics on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.